Well, good morning, everyone at home. Good morning, the room as well. This is great. I can see all the smiling faces in here behind the masks, honestly. It's, uh, it's really good. If people wear sunglasses as well and masks, then I know you're asleep. That's just the rule in the room. Uh, but for you at home, just a special welcome to you. My name's Mark, part of the leadership team here. And just a delight to be able to speak, to preach, to bring a message on Easter Sunday. Now, if you've kind of worked out the title of this uh, preach, this title of what's going on here is called Awakening Hope, how to kind of really get hope levels higher in your life. And when I was kind of deciding on kind of, because you know when we're deciding what to do for Easter, we're deciding like, you know, months ahead. And like for Christmas, it's, it's months ahead. But the reason I kind of chose this was like, well, okay, what, what should we do for, for Easter Sunday? This was in January, I think I was sort of thinking about this. What should we do for Easter Sunday? Hope. Hope needs to come into this. This is something we need to do. And the thing that really got me, you know, confirmed what I should be speaking on was I was doing a crossword because it's lockdown, right? nothing else to do so <laughs> I was doing a crossword and the clue was hope four letters second letter I I could not get it I don't know if anybody out there could get it anybody in the room could get it four letters second letter I I is not a cryptic crossword right it's just an ordinary I don't do cryptic I can't go cryptic but just just this whole thing and I was like oh, okay well, what on earth is this and in the end I had to give up and and look at the clue and it was wish wish right I was like that's not hope. How dare you, crossword writer? That isn't what hope is. Not in my head anyway. Hope is something far more solid than a wish, because a wish is quite ethereal. It's quite like wishy-washy out there kind of thing. It, it reminds me of like, you know, genie and, and rubbing the lamp and three wishes. And whether you like the Robin Williams or a Will Smith version of kind of like genie and the lamp from, from Disney movies, I, d- I don't care. But the thing is, it, it's a wish. It's kind of a, a fulfillment of some kind of thing that you're after. Some kind of wish, a fulfillment of, 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 of what you're after. It, that's not hope. If you're putting your hope on a wish, that's, that's quite flimsy. That's not going to get you anywhere. Hope is far more secure. Hope is what you trust in to bring fulfillment. Hope is what you trust in to bring fulfillment. A wish is just a fulfillment of some desires. So I was quite cross. I almost wrote to the crossword people. I didn't, you know, I didn't quite get to that point. But if, if, if our, if our hope is just in wishing for certain things to be true or wishing for certain things to be in our possession, then we've got something very wrong. Just ask yourself where your wishes will be in a hundred years' time. Where will your wishes be in a hundred years' time, right? <laughs> I don't think they're going to be here. I don't think they're going to be here. Now, we are built for hope. We are built. We are made to have hope. When we do not have hope, that's when things start to go slightly funny and awry. I'm sure many of you have noticed this in the last year. (laughs) Hope is one of those things if you don't have it. And the Bible has a lot to say on this, has a lot to say on hope. You find this in Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. When you give up on something, when hope is no longer available, you get sick. Either physically, emotionally, 
mentally, whatever it is, those things are all connected, right? Then you get sick when hope isn't in the room, when hope isn't in your life. Princess Leia <laughs> said this. Hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, then you will never make it through the night. Now, am I suggesting we should all be optimists? No, no. Because all an optimist is, is someone who puts their hope in everything's going to be okay. They put their hope, actually, in optimism. But neither am I saying we should be pessimists. Because a pessimist puts their hope in disappointment. Okay, I thought that was quite good, by the way. Yeah, just to say, the room is applauding, they're all on their feet, they're cheering, they're going for it, right. Everyone at home, you're going, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can tell anybody out there things are happening in the room. I've just realized the power, this is great. Okay, anyway, so hope. <laughs> Pessimism is, is basically putting your hope in disappointment. And I think in the UK, if you're British, we have a culture of disappointment. We have a culture of pessimism, which means that hope has to break through that. Now, the Christian hope is something solid, is something secure. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. A hope. Romans 8, 24, 25 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Folks, we have to raise our levels of hope. We have to awaken hope. We have to stir it up. We have to remind ourselves of what hope is, of, of what we are looking to. And today I want to just introduce you to three people that Jesus met so that you can help you do this. Things that they did which, which just awakened hope. And the first person I want to introduce you to is a chap called Zacchaeus. We find him in Luke 19. You find your Bibles. I won't be calling out verses specifically. I'm just going to tell you the story. So Zacchaeus is a man we meet uh, in Jericho, and he is kind of a, a, a chief tax collector. In fact, we're told three things about him. Number one, he was a chief tax collector. Okay? Number two, he was rich. And number three, he was vertically challenged. Those are the three. I thought it was a very nice way of putting it. Yeah. So three ways, three things we are told about Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is not going to be a very liked person. Okay, he, he is somebody who has basically betrayed his nation and his people in order that he can get rich. And this reveals a lot about him. It reveals where he's put his hope. You see, the great promise over uh, the kingdom of Israel, over the people of Israel, over the Jews, is that they would have an incredible kingdom. But they have been invaded by Rome. And so Rome is now in charge. And the Caesar is God. And so what Zacchaeus has done, he has put his hope in that. He has put his hope in the system. He has put his hope in the country's government. 
or the government of the area. That is where he has placed his hope. That is the first place he's put his hope. He's abandoned his God. He's abandoned what he really believes or kind of what he's grown up with. He's abandoned his brothers and sisters. And he has basically put his hope in a man who lives thousands of miles away. That's where he's put his hope. He's also put his hope in his money, in his finances, in all the things that are are kind of corporal of this world. And we know from later on that he has put his hope in this to such an extent that he is willing not only to break the cultural boundary by becoming a tax collector, and not only that, a chief tax collector, right? He has gone to this place where he is now swindling people out of money so he can get even wealthier. Because a tax collector would have got a decent wage compared to the people around. A chief tax collector would have got an even better wage. But he's going, that isn't enough. I I need more. And so he starts cheating people out of money. Now that is a clear indicator that you have put your hope in the wrong place, where you are willing to abandon your family, your country, your nation. You are willing basically to start breaking the law, actually, in order to gain what you put your hope in. You know you're in problems. But into this, we see his interest sparked. And that's my first point, really, interest sparked. This is what happens with regards to how you raise hope levels in your life. Interest sparks. And the fact that you're all still listening to me and you're still watching out there, I'm assuming that you have some kind of interest in the fact of awakening hope in your life. Okay, that, that's my, my, my basic summation, some, you know, summation of that. And Zacchaeus is so determined that when he hears about this chap called Jesus, who's walking through Jericho, he is willing to climb a tree in order to see Jesus. Now, get this in perspective. This is like an MP climbing a tree to see somebody walking through London. All right, just get that that image in your head, okay? There's, I won't say any particular MPs, but, but, you know, someone just goes up a tree... Because they want to see, he is, he's basically taking his elevated position and he's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this place. I just want to see. I just want a glimpse. His interest is sparked for that one. So that's the first thing we see, interest sparked. The second thing we find with a, a Samaritan lady. Now, this Samaritan woman we find in John 4. And this Samaritan woman is at midday collecting water. Now, this tells us a lot of things. It tells us, basically, that this lady has either been ostracized or kicked out of kind of the community or isn't welcome or doesn't feel like she can be in that place. She's so shamed that she can't be with the people who collect water at a normal time because the normal time for collecting water in the Middle East is not midday when it's really, really hot. It's early in the morning or kind of earlier in the day. And it was quite a social gathering, so all the people would have gathered there, all the, all the women, I'm afraid, would have gathered there to collect the water. And so they'd be there collecting water for their homes and their families, and they'd have a bit of a chinwag and a ch- catch-up and all that kind of thing. A bit like being at the Arpe, you know, that kind of thing. They'd, they'd be there, and so they, they wouldn't go... If you were there at noon, it showed that you're on your own, and she is on her own. And she goes to this place, and the reason that she's on her own is because of where she has put her hope and her trust. She has put her hope in relationships. She's tried to gain acceptance through relationships. And so what she's done is she's been married five times, and she's living with a man who isn't her husband. Now, in today's society, we might go, back then, that was a huge deal. 
So instead of reading five marriages, read like 50. Trying to get it in, y- in your head to understand the kind of significance of that. It would have been someone who was, who was clearly breaking cultural norms and was outside of society. But she can't kind of resist going after that whole deal of, well, I, I, I want acceptance. I want that kind of place of acceptance. She's put her hope in that acceptance in relationships. And so she keeps pursuing it of marriage after marriage after marriage. Into this, she encounters Jesus. And what kind of happens is Jesus is on his own and she's on her own. Now, Jesus should not speak to this woman on two accounts. One, he's a single man and she's a single woman. They shouldn't really be speaking. And secondly, she's Samaritan, which means as a Jew, that Jesus was a Jew, he should not be speaking to her either. So you've got two reasons why Jesus should not speak to her, but he does. He asks her for water. And what results is a conversation that the woman kind of starts to ask questions to Jesus, and Jesus starts providing answers. Now, that's the second thing of how hope starts to awaken. It's a conversation, if you like, an inquiry. And that might be people who uh, you know, who, who kind of you start speaking to, people who know Jesus or are Christians. You might hey, say, oh, I'm going to start speaking to them. I want to find out more. But more likely, it's prayer. And prayer is just speaking to God. That's all it is, speaking to God. Now, Google search shows that how do I pray is up 50% in the last year. One in 20 people admit to praying regularly now. The last year has seen a big change. Like this woman at the well, you've just said, I need to speak to someone. How do I do this? What do I do? Crying out in those moments. There's quite a famous person called John Newton who lived a long time ago, (laughs) a long time ago, in the 1700s. And uh, he was um, involved in slavery, and so his job was on a ship, he would uh, say, say drive. That's not right, is it? See, that's what happened in the Suez Canal. So they sailed from... (laughs) They sailed from... uh, No, I'm not going to go there. They sailed from Africa to the Americas, taking slaves to that place. And John Newton was involved in this. But even amongst those people, he was considered a really bad egg. (laughs) He was known for just living a life of debauchery, living a life of kind of as far from God as you can imagine. This this is kind of the man. If you were going to say, person least likely to go to church ever, 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 John Newton. That was him, right? Okay. So he is in a storm, middle of the North Atlantic, The date is the 10th of March, 7048, and he wrote this in his diary. We despair of pumping out the water in the bilges. We we despair of pumping in the storm. We have no hope of expectation of surviving a quarter of an hour. When you don't expect to survive another 15 minutes, you know it's serious. In that moment, he cried out to God for mercy. And what happened to his surprise is that he felt a stirring, an awakening, a stirring in him. 
as someone who, who thought, oh, I'm never, never, ever going to go near God, had read bits of the Bible and thought, well, that's not very interesting, he, he felt a stirring in him and he cried out to God. Now, I don't know if that's you in the last year that you've cried out to God, but what happened to John Newton was that after it was all over and he landed in Ireland, the first thing he did was he went and found a church, a congregation, because he, he felt something had changed in him and that he wanted to be part of a community who worshipped Jesus. He went on to write one of the most famous hymns ever, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, which was uh, amazingly made famous by the slave community who sung it in America, and that's how we got the song today. Crazy. I suspect there have been people watching this today, maybe even in this room, who have cried out to God in the storm of the last 12 months and said, have mercy on me. I can't see how I can survive another day, another week, another month. (laughs) I can't do it. And that has changed something in you radically. That conversation has changed you. We then go on to the third person I want to introduce you to. Now, the third person in this place is a woman who is without hope. We find her in John 8, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 8. And at this point, she has been caught having committed a crime. The crime was adultery. In that time, the punishment was death by stoning, a particularly unpleasant way to die. The whole community would get involved. She has effectively been found guilty at the highest court in the land because we meet her at the temple in Jerusalem, which is like the high court. The Pharisees and the scribes, the people who are in charge of kind of the Jewish religion, they are there and they're they're the ones who have cast judgment on her and decided that she should be stoned, that she should be killed for what she's done. She is without hope and she is dragged out of the temple courtyard. She's dragged to where Jesus is. And the Pharisees and the scribes want to try and trick Jesus because they want him to condemn her. They want him to say she's guilty. Or, conversely, they want him to kind of come up with a reason that she shouldn't be stoned. And Jesus looks, is kind of just sort of scribbling on the floor. He doesn't even look up. And he says this. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Pharisees and the scribes start shuffling their feet. They start kind of edging away from her and eventually walk away until no one is left except the woman and Jesus. That's all that's left. And Jesus looks at her. He says, I don't condemn you. Go. She's like, okay, Lord. This woman without hope has just been set free through a meeting with Jesus. When we meet Jesus, our hope levels increase because they are founded on someone who is a firm foundation. We celebrate today the glorious resurrection of Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is alive. Now, I don't say that flippantly because historically, you can look at all the evidence and he died on a cross. He died. 
Yet three days later, his disciples are saying, he's alive. After three days in a tomb, he's alive. It is impossible. I know that. (laughs) But that doesn't make it improbable. Because God is a God of miracles. And the resurrection is the thing we put our hope in. The fact that the tomb was empty, the fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that you can meet him today is the most beautiful, wonderful hope that anyone can ever have. It is a hope for all eternity. It is a hope for life-changing things right today, now. It is a moment, a thing that you put your trust in and your hope levels will be awakened. As you move from interest to inquiry to meeting him, that is how we awaken hope. That is how we lift our hope levels. Zacchaeus' hope alignment was radically changed. He went from trusting in the system and money to trusting in Jesus. That's where he put his hope. For the woman at the well, her acceptance by society was transformed by the hope that was acceptance in Christ, in Jesus, because he accepted her. And the woman who was going to be stoned, her hopelessness situation, her hopeless place was completely transformed through a meeting, an encounter with Jesus. This hope is a secure hope. It is one we hold on to. I'm going to read a little bit of Hebrews uh, now because it just, it, 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 it helps in this. I think Matt, what he brought, it, was, it kind of linked to this and we sung some songs like this. It says this, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, a promise, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Right now, Jesus is seated in heaven. We know that one day when he returns, we get to be in that place in heaven on earth for all eternity. That's what we get with Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus and his resurrection is the thing that makes us go yes and amen that is why we get to be here that is why we sing songs with joy in our face and celebrate and rejoice that is why anyone who comes to know Jesus today gets that wonderful new hope a hope that is firm and steadfast so I just want to finish with an invitation for anyone in the room but anyone out there too I want you to invite you to meet with Jesus. That's all I'm going to invite you to do. Come and meet Jesus. Come and put your hope in him. Come and put your hope in him. You're going to need to do something off the back of that, though. So just, I'd encourage you, if you put your hope, I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but if you put your hope in Jesus today, then what I want you to do 
is get in touch either through the uh, welcome at Hope Community email address that will come up in a little bit, or you can mention it on the sidebar. We'll jump onto it. We'll link you with the prayer team. Or if you know the link for the prayer team already, just click on that link and someone will be there to help you find hope, to find these hope levels. Okay? So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing again. Jesus. Wonderful, Jesus. We, we praise your name, Jesus, for today. We praise you for the fact that we can put our trust in you and that our hope is in you. That hope levels are not based upon the circumstances of this world. They're not based on things which will fade or disappear. They are based firmly on the person of you. That through your resurrection, we have our hope. We have a hope which lasts forever, a hope that does not fade, a hope that cannot tarnish. It's a hope that just goes stronger as we get to know you. Every time we meet you, Jesus, from the first to the 50th to the millionth, our hope levels are increased. So, Father, I pray right now for people out there who are sitting on the fence for people like Zacchaeus who are sitting in trees just wondering whether or not they should get down and come and meet Jesus. You know, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Now's the time to come down and meet with Jesus. For people who are out there who are like the woman at the well and thinking that they cannot ever meet with Jesus because, you know, they're not good enough. Come and meet with Jesus. He, he met with that woman where she was. And for people out there whose circumstances are hopeless, you feel completely hopeless. Today, come and meet with Jesus. He'll bring you hope. So, Father, I pray for anyone out there who is without hope right now. I pray that the situation in life will change through a meeting with Jesus. Jesus, come and meet with people now. Come and meet with your people, Lord. Come and meet with people who don't know you or have been far from you. People who knew you and are coming back. People like John Newton. People who just want to come back to you. A radical change in them as they meet with you, Jesus. Amen.